everyone. Welcome back to uh, Page Chewing uh, on the Incredible Steve Talks Books channel. Um, I am uh, P.L. Stewart, uh, Steve's co-host. I'm honored to be here. And uh, we're, we're both honored to have another incredible guest on our uh, show, and that is Thorne Coyle. Uh, so welcome. Hello. <laughs> Thorne, thanks so much for joining us. Um, I'll give uh, I'll give Thorne an opportunity to kind of more introduce herself and talk about uh, who she is and what she writes and what she does. So that's okay. I'll turn it over to you, Thorne. Great. Um, my name is T. Thorne Coyle, Thorne for my friends, and um, I'm actually non-binary, so I go by any pronouns, but mostly they, them. And I write a lot. I've written since I was a small child, and of course, books saved my life, got me out of a dreadful, not dreadful, difficult childhood, um, like a lot of us, and I loved escaping into other people's worlds and my own worlds. And now I have written, I started off writing um, poetry, wrote some plays, um, had poetry published, did a lot of journalism, and then I was practicing fiction, but I was in the phase of I kept giving up. I was working too hard at it. So I walked away from fiction for quite a while and started publishing nonfiction. I published traditionally published three um, nonfiction books on spiritual practice, and I traveled the world and taught all of that for many years. And then finally, fiction came knocking on my door again, and I've been going gangbusters with it ever since and having a great time. And um, you can see some of the fruits of my labor behind me. Um, I just write a lot, and I love it. And I write in a lot of different genres, but mostly I write about something that has to do with magic and or justice. My tagline is magic is real and justice is worth fighting for. And that imbues really all my writing fiction and nonfiction. Phenomenal. So that's my intro. Yeah, phenomenal. What's your, uh, what's your favorite genre to write in? Do you have a favorite or one that you did like your comfort genre that you enjoy the most? Well, it has shifted, you know, I, I love anything that's fantasy related, although I also write um, historical and science fiction short stories. Hmm. But for a longer form, I prefer anything that has a fantasy element. Um, so I started off writing a lot of urban fantasy. And I have also written some epic fantasy action adventure novels. But since the pandemic, what I've been writing are paranormal cozy mysteries. I years and years ago started reading cozy mysteries um, when I needed a break. And there's just something about the intensity of the world lately that retreating into that kind of lighter, a little bit slower, um, a little bit lower stakes fiction has really been soothing to my subconscious, I think. And so um, right now I'm working on a brand new series um, with two gay men and their corgis um, in the little gay village within the city, you know, and all the wacky cast of characters. And I'm having a great time with it. It's called Pride Street. And I'll launch that on Kickstarter next month. Um, but my earlier pandemic series um, is the Seashell Cove Paranormal Mysteries about a bookshop owning witch and her black cat. You know, who doesn't like witches, cats and bookstores? So that's been really fun. So yeah, the pandemic um, shifted everything and add in the fact that um, I also had suffered a brain injury and needed a break from more complex fiction for a while. When my brain started healing, the cozy mysteries just seem to flow really well. Um, so I've been cutting loose and having a great time. It's something we've talked about recently about the the rise of cozy fantasy, like Legends and Lattes and some other uh, yeah. books like that, that are picking even older books that have been around. They're picking up steam now because people seem to be, um, you know, have a craving for something lighter. And like you said, not as high, high of stakes. Uh, that's kind of what we were discussing is, um, you know, the state of the world and everything going on. It's it's a nice it's nice to just get away and have a, a something fun to to dig your teeth into. The world is hard, you know, and it's a great thing about movies and TV shows and books is it can offer us respite 
from the world, a little break from the day-to-day grind that everyone's in right now. Um, but I know for other people, like author Tananarive Du talks about um, for her mother and herself, horror is their escape. Horror is how they make sense of the world and how they get a rest. And while I can really appreciate um, a lot of horror, that is not a rest <laughs> for me. <laughs> so I'm glad there's a wide variety. But yeah, the rise of cozy fantasy. I hadn't heard those two words put together, but you're right. That is a subgenre. I think it just hasn't been named very well before. Yeah, I mean, um, and 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 all your work sounds fascinating, Thorn, and and uh, definitely I plan to get this. I read a lot of this on my TBR. I think Steve, as soon as uh, he found out that uh, your uh, one of your books, uh, one of your series, um, was you know. Uh, the um, Steel Clan uh, series was described as uh, something like, uh, I think it was Xena Warrior, Warrior Princess meets Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. I knew he was in. <laughs> yeah. So was I. So, uh, you know, and Steve is, you funny you speak about horror. You know, Steve's the one that's got me more into horror because he's a horror aficionado and stuff. But um, I'm very fascinated to hear about, especially all your books, but your Steel Clan uh, series in particular sounds really uh, intriguing. Can, can you tell us a bit more about that? Or? Yeah. So the Steel Clan saga, I had this image of a group of anarchist knights with their swords and pole arms and battle axes on motorcycles riding through a landscape that it's what they say has gone to green because it's post-apocalyptic, but it's post-apocalyptic far enough in the future that vegetation has pulled most of the cities down. A lot of the highways are cracking um, and they have, humans have formed little enclaves and settlements um, and are just trying to get along. And so they live in a township called Go No More because their ancestors said, this is a good place to stop. So we're going no more. This is our township. And so it's an anarchist collective. I had a lot of fun figuring out what technology they would have, what technology wouldn't work. Um, You know, there's not easy access to black powder, so there aren't guns. Mostly that's because I didn't want to write guns. (laughs) I didn't want guns in my series, so I wanted swords. So, but they've got biofuels, so they can have motorcycles, right? And they've got a river, so they can have hydropower. And the other fun thing I had with it was I got to write this post-apocalyptic, anarchistic kind of landscape, and it's fantasy without the feudalism, which I really like. You know, the feudal order, not cool. I don't, I'm not into kings and queens. I want people helping each other and figuring out how life works, right? But I also wanted dragons, and I also wanted elves, and I wanted there to be giant condors flying in the sky again, because of course the condors have returned and the bison have returned. Um, and the other thing I wanted to write was the elves under Hill are the, my big bats, right? Because they're royalty and they they follow more of a feudal order. So it's kind of a clash between the feudal order and this contemporary um, collectivism, anarchist vision of a future. So, you know, I always say I write the world I wanna live in, and that's true for all of my books um, from, you know, the Panther Chronicles where shapeshifters are confronting the FBI with magic to the witches of Portland, you know, where they're running through the city um, confronting, you know, evil developers or fascists with magic. And Steel Clan Saga is the same way. It's kind of my fantasy, my epic fantasy, post-apocalyptic vision of the world I want to live in. I just see a comment from uh, Austin. Yeah. Austin, <laughs> that's that's badass. Yeah, Thanks, Austin. That's like, wow. Now I really want to read it. It sounds incredible. Wow. Um, so... Uh, in in all that, um, you did mention um, you know a big part of your life, and I, I'm assuming impacting your writing also is spirituality. Uh, what aspects of spirituality? Um, I see you know from the back, I, I you know that uh, you know 
in your your display there along with your books uh perhaps uh wiccan element um you know can you talk about the, the spirituality uh, aspect yeah my first um published book was uh, called evolutionary witchcraft so um i taught and i do still teach although i've backed way off from that i've i taught um paganism um spiritual practice magic and self-development work, you know, will development, um, being more effective in the world. I've got a book called Sigil Magic for writers, artists, and other creatives about using um, sigils and magical practice to help our creativity flow more easily. So basically, I'm a proponent of daily practice, um, and daily practice of any kind helps build the foundation of our lives, right? It helps us build good habits. It supports our creativity, supports all the other stuff we want to do. So whether that's exercise for you or meditation or a prayer practice or going for walks or daily morning pages, you know, I always have encouraged people to develop something that works for them in their lives so that they're not, we're not always starting from zero every day, right? It's kind of like the more you write, the more you write. Um, the more you exercise, the more you can exercise. It's the same with spiritual practice. So it definitely supports the, it, I think it's one of the reasons I'm able to write so much because I had all these years of spiritual practice. You know, I used to say, if you master one thing, you can master anything. And I still believe that's true. Incredible. I just want to say hi really quickly to John. Thanks for coming hey, by. John. Hey, John. And uh, Jade had a comment. I used to listen to uh, Teeth and Coil's podcast all the time. Such amazing stuff with great music, too. Thank you, Jade. Yeah, my old podcast, Elemental Castings, which no longer is available anywhere. I keep meaning to put it up on um, Bandcamp. What was the podcast all about, though? The podcast, it was called Elemental Castings, and I would interview a wide variety of magic workers and spiritual practitioners and it was similar to this podcast we would just have free-ranging conversations for an hour and i had a lot of great guests on it was really fun and very fruitful for a long time and uh speaking of your music uh you have four albums that you've yeah. released what can you tell us about those yes yeah, so um i my first two albums gosh they came out a long time ago <laughs> because <laughs> I'm in my mid-50s. I've been doing everything for a long time. Um, my first two, uh, my first one was Face of a New Day. Second is Give Us a Kiss. Um, and that's all kind of rock, folk, combo, pop, whatever. Um, a lot of political activism stuff uh, is enmeshed in it because that infuses a lot of what I do. And then I also came out with two CDs of um, chants and songs for the Pagan Wheel of the Year with my friend Sharon Knight. So those are songs for the waning year and songs for the strengthening sun. And then I've um, also released just a few random songs, uh, which are kind of more techno dance music, but also pagan hmm. and magic. And those are on Bandcamp. You can find all those on Bandcamp. Oh, you're you're multi-talented. Wow, that's that's incredible. It's amazing. Yeah, I also used to be a, a semi-professional dancer. <laughs> what? <laughs> what yeah. kind of dancing? Um, I did um, I did belly dance uh, many many years ago. Um, gosh, when in my late twenties, I was in a dance troupe for seven years. Um, performed all through San Francisco. Wow. And we performed at like tattoo conventions before everyone was getting tattooed, you know, that kind of thing. It was really fun. Uh, that's quite the, quite the interesting life you've, uh, you've been leading. Like I really have, you know, I've, I've lived a very full, amazing life and I'm grateful for it. Um, I, one example I give is I, I say I spent um, four years working on the Pacific Stock Exchange learning about our economic system, which is based on gambling and greed, as you probably know. Um, I spent four years uh, working full-time as a peep show dancer. 
And then I spent four years working full-time in a soup kitchen. That kind of encapsulates a lot of <laughs> who I am and what I do. It runs yeah, the gamut. Yeah, I did, I did notice that on your uh, on your bio about you know, working in a woman-run peep show. I wanted to ask you, I bet you have lots of stories from that, that experience. I do. Uh, I used to have, there was one uh, customer who used to come in to discuss science fiction with me in between, you know, putting quarters in the slot uh, for the windows to go up and down. And I would crouch by the window and, you know, we'd discuss <laughs> science fiction books. And he was the one who um, gave me a copy of V for Vendetta. That was how I got turned on to V for Vendetta was a customer at the peep show. Another thing I loved to do was crouch at the window and ask people who their favorite ecstatic poet was. That was always good for a shock. (laughs) (laughs) And I would play a trick on frat boys when they'd come in. I would um, ask them to recite the Greek alphabet and they'd always start and then catch themselves and get pissed off, which amused me a lot. (laughs) <laughs> but you know i got to dance in a in a mirrored room full of naked women for a living it was pretty great and I, it was all behind glass so i didn't have to interact with anyone um yeah that, that sounds awesome <laughs> a great great way to make a living in your 20s yeah. um austin the post-apocalyptic uh series is the steel clan saga and the book one is we seek no kings so it's we seek no kings, we heed no laws, we bend no knee. Just the titles are epic. I love the titles. Thanks. The titles I also, um, the artist Valerie Heron did amazing character art for the covers. I love my covers. Yeah, I've seen your covers. They're, they're phenomenal. I cannot wait to get that series. That's uh, definitely definitely in the 2023 plans for sure. So. I really love I. I issued those in um, large print hardback, and the hardcovers are just delicious. They're just nice artifacts. I love holding them. I love my hardcovers, so yeah, really well. And has it been the same artist for um, for all of your books? No, I hired Valerie specifically for Steel Clan Saga. Um, uh, Lou of Cover Affairs did my Witches of Portland series, and then I did my the update of my Panther Chronicles series, and I've done my um, Seashell Cove series, and I do all my short story collection covers. I love book design. Cover design is something that I really enjoy, and it kind of gives my brain a break from the writing. Yeah, so I do my own covers, uh, which is a lot of fun. And so that's what I did. I hired Valerie for the character art, and then I designed the covers for the Steel Clan series. Fantastic. Um, so I, I know one thing that's, that's, uh, oh, John yep, said. Great sorry. titles. Thanks, John. Awesome titles. Thanks, Austin. <laughs> yeah. I like them too. Yeah, those tiles are phenomenal. Um, what I was going to say is I know it's, uh, it's important, uh, to you when, you know, to manage to see, um, you know, in fiction, um, you know, uh, you know, non-gender conforming characters, more queer characters, like how are we doing it with fiction in general, with seeing uh, more representation, uh, you know, uh, BOPC and you know uh, queer on dinner. Like, how, how are we? Are we? Are we? Are we getting there slowly but surely? Are you seeing? More? You know, it's as you know, it's still hard, and I think the indie world is making greater inroads because it's easier for those of us who aren't necessarily members of the you know ruling classes to put our own voices out there. You know, as a queer person, I love having a wide variety of characters in my books. I love all kinds of queer characters. Um, I try to get as much race, racial diversity in my books as possible too, because that's the world I live in. You know, I don't live in a white world, um, despite living in the Pacific Northwest now. You know, I came from the Oakland-Berkeley border to Portland, which was a shock. <laughs> but, you know, there's diversity everywhere if we bother to look for it. So I think, and, you know, the indie world is also doing better with um, a variety of sexualities, a variety of, you know, ne- neurodivergent representation, all of that sort of thing. And I think traditional publishing is still dropping the ball like they are, you know, because their whole power structure is still the old school power structure. And so if you don't have 
diversity in your editorial team, you're not going to have diverse books. You're going to have tokenism um, and you're going to have all the issues that we see of, you know, diversity seen through like a white lens or a, a straight heterosexual lens, like that sort of thing. Um, how about you? What do you think? Do you see, do you see a split between diversity in indie published books versus traditional? Sadly, I do. And, and the first time I saw characters uh, who used uh, pronouns such as they was, they know, was in indie. Um, you know, I've seen maybe one book, fiction, fantasy book, like mainstream fantasy book, that's, that's used of pronouns. And as for, um, you know, uh, writers of, of color and, and racialized writers, I mean, um, I, I really think that, you know, although there's some, there's, there's some, there's huge writers from from the queer community and from uh diverse racialized uh backgrounds in traditional humongous right uh tamsin muir and, and tessa grattan and you know um the pete joe clarks and nk gems like there's there's so many however yeah. there's still i think it's almost still this divide because seeing what they've gone through especially to deal with the literary establishment and to and even when they're getting awards people battling and say they don't deserve oh. it's it, like it's just some horrific stuff right so um you know but yeah i totally i totally concur Thorne, that that i think indie is a space where you can write any story you can yep. write it the way you want and you don't have to second guess or think about anything other than you know once you find your audience you're yep. going to sell books people are going to love your work they're going to keep asking for more and you keep writing them the way you, you want to with the kind of representation you want so i really 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 love that aspect about indie um and i want to hear from steve too like you know i wrote a book basically and a series um from the viewpoint of a of a white bigoted racist homophobic colonialist misogynistic prince right and no traditional publisher would ever touch whatever touched that coming from a racialized right are you kidding me that would be there's no way Obviously, I wrote it for a reason, but yeah. So you know, like I, I don't think other than indie, um, and even going future forward, I, I still don't know if we're going to see the the, the depth of, of 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 writing of that type um, in traditional publishing. I just don't. I I can't see it happening, Steve. You know, I don't know what you think, but uh, well, first I'll just let me answer Austin's uh, question. A PL is uh, published and is a. Uh book drone and right here behind me a great audiobook just want to plug that it's the first audiobook that's kept my attention in a long time thank you uh, so just want to mention that but as far as uh, the indie world versus the trad world i think traditional publishing reminds me in its current state of what the music industry was in the late 90s they're yes. very they're stuck in their old ways and it's worked for so long and now things aren't working you know technology and everything is bringing us uh, and uh, new opportunities for people who just want to write a book they have a, a, an entry that they didn't necessarily have before. So I think they're still hanging on to that old uh, structure. And I think they're like a big lumbering idiot when it comes to their whole, you know, the whole business is just gonna take some time to recognize all the things that India is doing, whether it's uh, representation or this kind of stories being published or a variety of things. I think they're, they'll catch up, it'll just take them too long or longer than it should because it's it's a big, uh, you know, they have a lot of moving parts and they're just not interested until they see so many great indie books and so much attention being paid to them, then they'll, the latter go off and uh, it may be too late. I'm, I'm just waiting for someone like Stephen King or, or someone who has a huge following to go indie. That's what I want. <laughs> so that would be great. Well, Brandon Sanderson yeah. is making yeah. forays yeah. into that. You know, he's, that. Yeah. he's hybrid. He's both trad pub and doing indie publishing as well. Um, so it's happening definitely. And I see more and more traditionally published authors doing that kind of hybrid thing. And, you know, my first three books are traditionally published. My first three nonfiction books. Um, I can't imagine going back because I love the freedom. And I also love the ability to directly connect to my audiences. You know, I want that connection with people who actually are interested in hearing what I have to say. You know, I, I've got a story about that when I first started writing the cozy mysteries I had a few cozy author friends check my cozy levels you know because I'd read a lot but I wasn't used to writing them and one of them said 
yeah, your cozy level, you know, the tone is just right, but you know, cozy readers tend to be more traditional and you've got this non-binary side character. And I was like, I don't care. And so I marketed it on my Kickstarter as cozy mysteries for freaks and geeks. <laughs> and I took in eight grand on that campaign, my very first campaign, because clearly people want cozy mysteries for freaks and geeks. They want D&D &D playing computer programmers and queer people and black SCA members. And, you know, along with, with the um, centaurs and fairy creatures and witches that are, that populate the world. Right. I think almost everyone can find an audience and that's fabulous. And you don't have to sell hundreds of thousands of books anymore. You just need to find the people who want to connect to you and you want to connect with. And that's really liberating. Mm -hmm. uh, John had a comment that I wanted to get both of your opinions on. Uh, side note, I think I also think some people are afraid of being diverse and fear of doing it incorrectly. But you think traditional would have a, the resources to avoid that. And I spoke to an author recently and they had written a story and I forget um, I forget what it what I think it was religion that they were writing about, but they didn't publish it because they were worried that they would get something wrong or misrepresent something, what's a way for, uh, what What have some of the things you, both of you have done to avoid that or to make sure you, you represent it correctly? Well, my first published series um, came out of, I was in a writing workshop with Christine Catherine Rush and turned in a short story on, you know, deadline, like the same day. It was one of those you have to write while you're there. And I had always asked myself the question, what would have happened if Fred Hampton hadn't been assassinated by the FBI and the Chicago police? The world would have changed, right? So I wrote a short story about that. And during the feedback session, Chris said, I hate to tell you, but this is a novel. And I hate to tell you, it's actually a series. And I was like, no way, no way am I gonna write that. But the characters insisted and so what I did was I asked um, two friends of mine, if I do this exchange with you, um, will you be a first reader and make sure that I'm not doing things egregiously, I'm getting the tone right. And every step of the way with every book, I considered not even publishing them. And those readers said, no, we love these characters, we want these books. And then I also, um, got an activist friend of mine who was part of the Chicano moratorium in Los Angeles in the 70s. That comes into the series as well. And he also read those sections that had to do with that. And he said something that almost made me cry. He said it made him proud um, to read about what he had lived through, through this fantasy lens. Um, so I basically hired experts who were friends of mine to give me a read and to just say, will you just check this? Because it's not my culture. I mean, I'm not only writing about, you know, I'm also writing about white people there. And I'm also, you know, got to have a lot of fun with the scenery chewing, horrible um, J. Edgar Hoover, who is an evil magician. <clears throat> that was such fun to write. Um, so there's, there is diversity, but I, and I needed to make sure, <clears throat> excuse me, that I wasn't overstepping. And I also expected I was going to get pushback when the books were published. And I have, but surprisingly very little. It's kind of amazing to me. And then in the um, Steel Clan saga, I have a primary character who's a wheelchair user and an amputee. And I asked an amputee person, I paid them to do an expert read for me. Um, and they gave me some feedback. I made some changes. You know, so you hire an expert on ballistics for your books. Hire an expert or do a trade on any of this. And now you'll notice I'm using the term expert reader and not sensitivity reader. I loathe the term sensitivity reader. I think it has become a big mess. I think it has become this, you know, social justice warrior language thing. Um, and it's become a way to discount it and diminish it when really all, all we're doing is saying, if you don't know, 
you hire someone who knows, or you do a fair trade with someone who knows. Um, so I could go on and on about that. I'm, I'm hope I'm not ranting too much, but no. um, PL, what do you have to say about it? No, I completely agree. And I, I love the fact that you, you raised that term sensitivity. I too uh, have recently only in the last year or two start to take umbrage with, with that particular term because of the, 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 the connotation that it seemed to carry uh, throughout the, the age of, you know, unfortunately backlash against, um, you know, uh, some all, all well-intentioned things uh, related to especially diversity. And I love expert because it, it lends that credence, that credibility, like expert witness, you know, for, you know, for I, for forensic uh, expert witness. And I love that because it is, it is um, drawing someone's expertise and, and, and that's really important. And I did the same thing, um, you know, for, uh, I'm not a member of the, uh, the LGBT uh, plus uh, community. However, I have lots of friends who are obviously, and, and I've drawn on people like uh, Bjorn Larson, a great, great member of the community, great, uh, just a brilliant, brilliant writer and dear friend. He has been on Patreon in the past for, um, you know, to get to adequately, um, you know, and, and to properly, um, you know, get my characters uh, who were from that community uh, down the way, depicting them the way they, they deserve, um, you know, and the issues and their and their issues, um, you know, same with, and even though I'm, I'm racialized, uh, some of my friends uh, who are, so T.L. Coughlin, again, again, Steve, another great writer who we've had on the show, you know, reaching to her about, you know, and getting feedback, just like Lauren said, and getting that, that, you know, there's sometimes that difficult feedback that's hard to hear, say, hey, you know, have you considered this and this that this could be this might be you know offensive? Are you are you looking at this this part of the lens that someone from this background look for? And and those are are critical um, conversations to have. Uh, expert readers are so invaluable. Yeah. And you know, I, I can't I can't I can't put enough emphasis on how valuable they are. But realizing at the same time, though, that even with a plethora of expert reader readers you still may get something wrong yeah so that's that's something important to, to realize too. you still may get something wrong and if you do um you need to both stand up and say hey you know what i got that wrong may a couple and and do better uh next time right you know so, so that's that's uh, we we are not going to be perfect um as as authors or as people and we're going to miss things and we're going to be ignorant to certain things but i think when we approach things with the right ethics and the right intention, um, that most more times than not, we're, we're probably going to get it closer to right than not. So, and I think uh, if we keep striving for that continuous improvement as writers and keep, and along with that, keep striving for that authenticity in our work and that authenticity in our representation, and we keep growing that way, then we're, we're on the right track. Right. And that, that's yeah. a process. Uh, it doesn't happen overnight. So, yeah. And, you know, some people say, oh, I'm so afraid of getting it wrong because I'll get dragged on Twitter. And it's like, that is, that's not a great attitude to approach your creative process with. You know, I approach it all as study, as research, as I want to know more. Um, and I do want to be respectful. And the other thing to remember is no culture or subculture is a monolith. Mm -hmm. Some people are going to love what you do and some people are going to hate it. And that's fine. You know, um, and we also need to remember to ask the question, am I doing diversity for diversity's sake? Or am I really trying to be authentic to my world and the voices of my characters in my world? You know, everything arises from that. And do I just have empathy for other human beings? You know, empathy goes a long way in writing our characters and in creating our worlds. Um, too many authors, I think, are afraid of getting it wrong. And I say, I, I hope you reframe your attitude around it um, and say, I'd, I'd like to learn something. Like that is a more generative, creative attitude. I also wanna bring up um, quickly a case in which I had an expert reader who gave me feedback that actually caused me to take out one facet of my character. I was writing a character that I thought had social anxiety. And so I wrote to this other author and said, you know, you talk about having social anxiety. Would you give this a read? And 
she came back and said, this character does not have social anxiety. Like the way she's going out to nightclubs and interacting with people. And I would be like under my bed at home. I went, oh, okay. That clearly I completely misread. And so I had to go back and dive back into the character and say, what is actually going on with this character? So it enriched my story to take that out, actually. It enriched my story to have someone say, you got that wrong. So I was appreciative. Um, and it's some of my fans' favorite book now. Um, my book by Moon in The Witches of Portland. Um, people love that character. And Celine does not have social anxiety. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Austin had a comment. Uh, I would have never thought about writing books, but after watching Brandon Sanderson's lectures, as well as listening to other discussions with people such as yourselves, I feel inspired to do so. Uh, what advice would you give to someone who is on that on that edge of I really want to write, but I'm not sure how where how to start or where to go? What where would you point them? Well, Brandon Sanderson's lectures are a fantastic way to start. Um, I rewatch those periodically. I get so much out of the Sanderson lectures. Um, but the main thing is is just start writing and let yourself practice. It's one thing that writers have trouble with, and that is just saying, I'm just practicing. I'm having fun. I'm creating worlds, and I don't ever have to even do anything with them. You know, just like a potter throws a thousand pots, we can write a thousand stories, and it can just be for our pleasure and enjoyment. And the more we do that, the more our subconscious comes out to play, and of course, the better we get. Um so I always encourage people to set a schedule and it doesn't matter what it is. If you have a half an hour every Tuesday and Thursday, then you sit down and you write. And I really love timed sprints. Timed sprints help me a lot. As soon as the timer's going, all I'm doing is writing. I'm not daydreaming. I'm not doing a bunch of research. I'm not dithering. I'm not editing. I'm just getting words down. And, I, and that gets the story flowing. Um, there's a writer, M.L. Buckman, talks about um, there's a concept in air travel called the ground effect, you know, where you go to land and if you stay just above the ground, you just keep going with no effort. And it's the same with writing or any craft. The more you do it, you just keep going and then you take off again because you don't have to keep stopping and starting and stopping and starting. So get some kind of a routine, make some kind of commitment to yourself and then have fun. Yeah, that's amazing. I want to touch on one of the things that you had mentioned, Thorne, about, um, you mentioned, uh, you know, being more accessible as a writer um, in the indie sphere versus the traditional sphere. And you were traditionally published originally. So what, what are the barriers to being accessible as a traditionally published writer versus being an indie writer that you, you, you found? Um, are you saying, I'm not sure, you're using the word accessible and I'm not sure what the context is. I probably said something and now I don't remember. Okay, so, so my apologies. Yeah, so it, it, it sounded, and correct me if I'm wrong, the, the impression you gave me, and I may have misunderstood was that, as an indie writer, you're more accessible to your audience and your oh. readers making direct connection yeah. as opposed to being a traditionally published writer. So what are the barriers being a traditionally published writer since you've been both that that or that you see with with traditionally published writers versus indie writers in general? What's that barrier towards being as accessible uh, to your readers? I think I think what I was talking about was it's easier for me as an indie author to connect directly to this small subset that wants what I have. I don't have to please hundreds of thousands of people, which is what traditional publishing wants because their bottom line needs you to please hundreds of thousands of people. And if you don't out the gate, you don't get another book contract. That's what I'm talking about, right? So I have a chance to let my relationship with my readers grow over time. And it's really hard to do these days for a traditionally published author. Hmm. I think it's almost impossible because like I said, if, if you're not a huge success out the gate, 
you're done. Like they dust their hands. If your book doesn't sell out, um, doesn't earn out within three months, you're done. Whereas I don't have to earn out within three months. Actually, I do because my costs are so minuscule, right? Because the technology is so awesome now. Costs have gone way down to produce books. But I can say I'm having fun with this series. I want to give it a chance and see where it goes. And then, oh, look, lo and behold, four books in, more and more readers are finding it. And I'm finding more and more ways to connect with them on social media and through my weekly newsletter. And they're now interested in me. And, oh, now they've joined my Patreon. And, right, so we've got all these interactions, you know. Right now, um, with my paid weekly newsletter and my Patreon supporters, I'm doing Write With Me Saturdays. Whoever wants Mm -hmm. to show up can write with me for an hour Saturday mornings. And it's just fun, you know. And as a traditional author, I think it's harder to find those ways to connect because your publisher just doesn't give you a chance. That's the main thing. We have a chance to grow a career. Yes. Yes. I, I, I totally agree. And um, it's, it's sad because, you know, I have so much respect for so many of my traditionally published friends and the work that they do and the, and the efforts they put in, I believe, and we've talked about this, Steve and I, and other guests on previous Patreon that, more and more of the promotional marketing side seems to be being downloaded on them as opposed to in the past where at least the perception was was more about just writing your books and, and keeping up with with your deadlines and things but now it's more and more of you you having to do uh a lot of the promotion stuff that that's more associated with being an indie author and you know so so you kind of wonder you know as you said with with the pressure to earn out and everything else and you know even things like zero sum advances coming and it's for some of my friends who you know, like, you know, what's what's the better what's the better uh, route, right? I guess it's the route that fits fits best for you. So I'm not trying to, you know, uh, dis completely dis, you know, traditional publishing because again, you know, there's lots of successful traditionally published authors. Um, but you know, I know for me, at least for me, and you have a distinct advantage of me where you've done both. Of course, you know, one was more not, you know, your your traditional publishing books are more nonfiction. If I'm yeah, if right. So so you know, different, but again, you have an adventure with someone like me because you've lived in both worlds. So you've seen both worlds, you know, the differences you can say, you know, emphatically, you know, these are the differences, right? And these are advantages versus disadvantages. So, uh, you know, but for me, it's just, uh, this is, I think this is my fit. I'm mm-hmm. not saying never, say never. And I don't know if you're also planning to dip back and forth and maybe be traditionally published again and publish some series traditionally and keep some self or, you know, but you can do that now. That That's, that's, you know, that's the beauty of, you know, there's no, there's no hard and fast. If you, if you have a series that you, you think that will fit the traditional market, you can write in, hopefully, you, you know, something like you would have an agent and, and get published. And, you know, if you want to keep publishing in me, you can do that. And so that's the beauty of the whole landscape now is that you can mix and match and, yep. you know, yeah. yeah, and there are people doing it successfully. I mean, we already mentioned Brandon Sanderson is dipping his toes in the indie waters. Um, Gail Carriger now does a lot of indie work. She started as traditional, and of course, a lot of her catalog is still traditional, but she's doing a lot of indie work. Um, P.N. Elrod is now doing indie stuff. You know, so there's also writers who had a strong background and a strong career in traditional publishing whose their careers kind of died because publishing trends change, people don't want them anymore. They're now able to take their back catalog if they were lucky enough, you know, contracts, that's the other thing. Contracts, it used to be easier to get your rights back. Now you can't get your rights back. They just want your IP for their bottom line. You're never getting your copyright back if you're traditionally published, which is one reason I probably won't do that ever again. Um, But they can get their rights back and now, their old books that are 20, 30 years old, 40 years old can find a new audience, which is fantastic, you know? And that just was not possible even five years ago. It must be so, so soul crushing to, to write a book, to query it, to get it uh, published and then wait a year or two for them to publish it, publish it. And then they drop you a few months later. That must be, that must be awful to go through something like that. Uh, John did have a question. He said, if it's too personal, feel free to ignore. 
but his question was, did you feel it easier to achieve sales and audience through traditional publishing? Have you found more success with indie? I think you've already kind of touched on that a little bit. Yeah, I have found, you know, as PL mentioned, my traditionally published books were nonfiction, so it is a different audience. And um, I also knew going in, I didn't want to write a book a year in nonfiction. I only had so much to say. I wrote three big books, said what I needed to. Um, since then, I've come out with two smaller subject books um, in nonfiction. And those I would not have been able to sell in traditional publishing. They would have wanted me to pad them out, make them bigger and longer so they could jack up the price, right? Um, mm. So my audience was different. But when I was... And the reason I, one of the reasons I went back to writing fiction was because of the indie revolution. I was like, I don't want to wait three years to get one book published. You know, I have a lot of stories to tell. And so I already had an audience and a platform that I had cultivated relationships with for decades. And I said to them, here's the deal. I had stopped blogging and people were saying, I miss your blog. We miss, you know, your weekly or monthly stuff. And I said, here's your deal. I'll start a Patreon and you have to agree to read one essay and one short story every month. Right. So I trained my audience that I already had a relationship with to start reading my magical fiction. And so I do have crossover from my old audience um, but that said, it's only in the last year that I've had a re a, a surge, an upsurge of brand new people who didn't know my old work at all, who are discovering my fiction. Um, this is kind of a roundabout way to answer your question. I think that as long as you are a person who's willing and able to try to connect you can find an audience no matter what. Um, and I see highly successful indie authors who have a much easier time um, gaining an audience and connecting with fans and with readers than traditionally published people do. Now, I also know a lot, I have traditionally published friends who also you know, have fans and loyal readers and all the rest. But I actually think these days, because of the flexibility of indie, in a lot of ways, we just have um, more creative opportunities to connect with people. And for me, everything that other people call marketing, I call connection, right? Mm -hmm. Years ago, um, author Joanna Penn said, oh, Thorne is really good at content marketing. I was like, I am? Oh, it's because I like post interesting articles and I post photographs from my walks. All that is considered content marketing. I just didn't know it. I just think I want to connect with people. I'm a storyteller. I'm, you know, spinning visions of a world. So um, again, I'm not sure if this is directly answering your question, but I think if you're passionate about something, you can always find a way to connect. And whether you're traditionally published or independently published, I think it doesn't matter now. I think there's been a true democratization of art and it's still ongoing, and I love it. Well, I mean, this has been really fascinating. You know, Thorne, Thorne, it's amazing uh, talking to you. We could probably go on for hours. We yeah. do want to, we do want to respect your time. Um, you know, so we should probably start uh, wrapping up shortly. But um, before we start doing that, do you mind uh, letting people know? Uh, you know, what your preferred social media platforms are, how best to get a hold of you, um, you know, where to find your works, your books, uh, things like that. Can you, can you let us know, please? Yeah. So my main, um, the main way to contact me is my website, thorncoil.com, T-H-O-R-N-C-O-Y-L-E.com. And you can access my essays, short stories, all my books, um, a bunch of other stuff on there. There's also links to my Teachable page where I do still teach some online classes. Um, social media, I spend time on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Um, Facebook and Instagram, I post um, essays and short stories and a daily photograph or a daily thought um, I share interesting stuff. 
and I do book announcements. Um, Twitter, there's a lot more variety. Twitter is actually my primary social media um, platform. So you get a wider variety. You'll get more social justice stuff, um, things that are going on, you know, mutual aid activity, um, weird, interesting articles, and and all the other stuff I post on Instagram and Facebook too. So my Twitter feed is a lot has a lot more variety. Um, if you don't want that, then stick to Facebook or Instagram. But yeah, the main portal is my website. I also have a Patreon and I do a weekly um, Substack newsletter that I really encourage people to sign up for because I do a weekly just musings, my thoughts and a photograph. And then at the very bottom, I'll do book announcements or if something's on sale, that sort of thing. Um, I really try to keep it engaging though. Um, I don't it's not a sales document. It actually is a way, another way to try to connect to people as these social media platforms get weirder and weirder. Yeah. Um, I'm like, come on to my Substack, Um, so you can find that on my website also, or just look for me on Substack. Perfect. And the wonderful Steve talks books. How do we, uh, what's the best place to get a hold of you? What's your preferred platform? Uh, things like that. Uh, you can find me on pagetwoing.com. It's our forum and uh, calendar. We have all our events there. Uh, on Twitter, Steve Talks Books. I'm also on Vero. That's my my limit, how much I can handle with social media. That's enough for me. What about you, P.O.? Yeah, I'm on I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, however, predominantly, just as 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 Thorne said, Twitter is is my is my preferred social media platform by far. Um, my website is www.plstore.com. That's where more book related, you can find a bunch of books, what, what's coming next, you know, new releases about the current books I have out. Um, yeah, with Steve on his, uh, you know, Steve has some, posts some amazing content, content and there's a lot of different uh, avenues in terms of his content. I'm on the page chewing one and we're into the twenties now with our episodes. So, which is incredible, but you know, we thank you so much. Yeah. It's, it's all due to Steve. This is his channel. He invited me to be his co-host. I'm, I'm so honored. And, and, and the joy of it is working with Steve and getting to, to meet and, and, and get to know more about uh, fantastic creatives such as, as Thorne. So it's been an absolute treasure. I can't forget quickly before we go that um, Steve and I are both bloggers with the wonderful uh, before we go blog.com www.beforegoblog.com uh, led by Dean Colonel Beth Tabler and uh, check that out for content reviews mostly uh, predominantly sci-fi horror and fantasy but they delve into comics and and graphic uh, you know graphic uh, all kinds of all kinds of great stuff so uh, you know beforegoblog.com awesome well, thanks again, Thorne, uh, for joining us. It's been a pleasure and I uh, hope to do it again. But I feel like we just scratched the surface on yeah. all the questions we wanted to ask. But it's I, thank do, you. I do feel thank like so we much. could have talked for another hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. For sure. But we'll have you back, though, one day so Great. that we can, we can pick that up. Fantastic. Awesome. Thank you both so much. And thanks to everyone who was watching and listening. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. And all the links that we mentioned will be down below in the description, whether it's on the podcast or on YouTube. I'll add those in here shortly. So have a good day, everybody. Bye.